Welcome to Awoke in the Morning. My soul's gotta have somewhere to stay. Gentry, gentry, fire, gentry, fication. Good evening, almighty big sister, Uncle Tom, ma'am. I solemnly swear to uphold the mission of restoration and upgrading of deteriorated urban property, often resulting in the displacement of lower income people. I get what you meant by projects. You move me in, stigmatize me, raise rent, kick me out, then whitewash my hood with some hipsters and Coke bottle glasses and chewed up converse that will clutch their purse when I walk by tighter than a church mother holds her Bible. You get an A+. You know, when I hear drink and draw, I think Hennessy and a game of spades and, yeah, my people push crack rock, but that rock landed on us. We don't own any planes. We don't own any names. Jackson, Johnson, Darren Wilson, I will remind officers, no, that is not a gun. That's my wallet, my iced tea, my bare hands. No, I will not sell Lucy's on corners. Fuck it, I will not not sell Lucy's on corners. Either way, I might die. And speaking of death, thank you for replacing that crown fried chicken with a bistro with overpriced craft beers. Because we know that way more people die from chicken-induced comas than they do from drunk driving. Mr. Softy Who, we only eat froyo on my block. I have fallen victim to the ever so delightful caramel macchiato. Fuck yeah, I signed that petition to stop the construction of Starbucks with a fake name. Allowing you to bleach the black out of Brooklyn. Now my preschool serves unlimited mimosas. And yeah, my people are leaving. Call it reverse migration, institutionalization, incarceration, or just plain murder. In any case, something dies. Ah, ain't enough water in the faucet to wash away these sins. I pledge to be a member of G5C, Gentrification Incorporated. I will uphold our founding father, Christopher Columbus' mission to make a home of stone goods if you see me praying I'm building me a home that was gentrification by Roya Marsh welcome back to awoke in the morning a podcast centering around mental health cultural awareness and the celebration of expression particularly from people of color Hashtag black excellence, if you will. I'm your host, Jasmine B. This week, I had the incredible privilege to interview actor and creator Chris Myers, who just filmed a pilot for his brand new comedy series, Guap, spelled G-U-A-P. The show centers around gentrification in the Heights in New York, and aside from accomplishing the incredible feat of creating a comedy series from the ground up, 
Chris is also an actor. Uh, he was recently seen in Lincoln Center's production of Brandon Jacob Jenkins' War. I could go on and on about Chris's accomplishments, but I think that it'd be best to have him introduce himself and let you hear for yourselves. So without further ado, here he is. Enjoy. My name is Chris Myers. I am an actor, writer, teacher, director, producer, and I'm from New York City. Yeah, and you're also a mentor, right? <laughs> oh, yes, and a mentor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many hats. Many yeah, hats. they all kind of feel like they're the same, like, uh, goal. They're just different kind of pathways. But To that goal? And what is that goal? Um, I think to, like, contribute positively to the world and and the people of the world. Okay, all right. So you're originally from New York City. Uh-huh. And where from? Where we are right now? Yeah, which is the Upper West Side, which is, um, people think, um, I'm rich whenever I say that. <laughs> I know I did. When you sent your address, I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what people don't know is, um, while it definitely is one of the wealthier, like, area, you know, area, uh, zip codes kind of overall, uh, what I love about it is that you have Central Park West, West End, Riverside Drive, the kind of borders are very wealthy. In the middle with Columbus, Amsterdam, and Broadway and all those kind of like in-between streets, um, you actually have a lot of working class people, like lower income people. There's a lot of, like, people probably don't a lot of projects. Right. The building I'm in is kind of a firmly like middle class building. You used to have something called, um, uh, wow, I'm blanking. Um, Something. Yeah, no, there's different types of, like, rent regulations. We used oh. to have a few. Mitchell Lama was one that kind of phased out. There's another one. So it kind of brings in this, like, really nice... Um, the whole neighborhood has this really nice, like, mix of people. Yeah. yeah. You can... Walking down the street, I see, like, obviously the older white ladies with their dogs, you right. know, but right. I also see the young students. I see, mm-hmm. like, a bunch of, like, black people, which mm-hmm. makes me really happy yeah. of differing... Um, Socioeconomic statuses. Yeah, it's status. funny. Like, why? Uh, there's actually like a huge like Puerto Rican Dominican. Yes. I believe more so in the '80s, but like, yeah, like people didn't associate that with Deborah Westside. No, not now. Um, yeah, and it actually, it's changing. It's changing for the worst. Um, oh. Certainly, past couple of years um, with a lot of like newer developments um, and just larger trends of like how capital is flowing through the city in the neighborhood. But um, yeah, I mean, it's still pretty actually more diverse than people realize. That. Yeah, I mean, more than I realized. Yeah. When you say Upper West Side, I think, like, Lincoln Center, the clean buildings on the outside and inside, mm-hmm. everybody going to sleep by 9 o'clock, mm. like that. That's what I envision when I think of Upper yeah. West Side. And that's yeah. not the truth. Mm-mm. So, that brings us very quickly to your project. You want to talk a little bit about Guap? Yeah, Guap. Is? Guap is a series. It's a comedy series about gentrification. It's set in... Washington Heights with a mostly around this family, mother, son, daughter, uh, and then these kind of two gentrifier people who move in. Those are that's like the core cast of five, and then you have bodega owner. There are these two little kids who live in the neighborhood, and um, a bunch of others. But basically, the family owns a restaurant, very affordable restaurant that's being kind of the block is being bought out by developers, and so oh. they have to figure out how to save it, but. And that's a fairly kind of straightforward, like, will they or will, won't they save it? The real heart of the show, though, is about the kind of inner conflict, about how the family sees surviving gentrification differently, um, meaning, like, 
do we, you know, change up the menu, renovate and appeal to the gentrifiers, or do we, you know, kind of protest and hire a lawyer and see if we can, you know, you know, all these kinds of different tactics, and they're kind of embodied in different members of the family. And then you also have, like I said, the gentrifiers who li- who move into the the building that they live in and challenge them in a different way because obviously at first everybody has their guard up against each other, but then eventually they're kind of forced into conflict and they have to learn each other. And mm-hmm. before they can, I don't know if it's necessarily like a kind of neat bow of like cross-cultural um, happy endings, but they definitely grow closer in some kind of way. And I think, so it's it's, this, it's really a character-driven, hopefully funny uh, meditation on how people move through gentrification more than like, Will they or won't they survive gentrification? Like that's that's I think not right. as interesting to me. That's like a that sounds like a dark, yeah, not comedy, but yeah, dark comedy. I mean, and it's also like, it's also like just read, like a book or an article about it. You know what I mean? Like that 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 story doesn't need to right. doesn't need a TV show treatment, um, right. or narrative treatment of any kind. If you ask me, I just feel like you know just go to the raw data, go to the academic studies, go to the, like in depth Atlantic expose. And you're good. You got it. You see that gentrification sucks and it right. destroys people's lives. But I'm trying to kind of show like a more intimate picture to hopefully move people. Like, because what I've learned is like gentrification affects everyone. Um, and um, I just want us all to be moved by this family so that we all kind of want to be more conscious of our of our actions and, and um, hopefully change it from the ground up because the forces what I learned in my research also is that basically like it's game over like you can't really stop what's going on with gentrification right now it's such a concerted effort on on such high levels of politics and real estate and um, investment you know that you can't just like fight the power like you know it, it will take a real big awakening of everyone for us to just make conscientious decisions about how we like spend our dollars and how we move into neighborhoods and how we interact with people that's the only way so this may be basic but for everyone who's listening because I know the title of the show is called Awoke in the Morning but Mm. we want to start from the ground up as you say Mm -hmm. so what is gentrification how can you Mm. define that yeah I mean gentrification um, was a word that was first coined by a woman named Jane Jacobs uh, in I believe the 70s and in her kind of academic um, uh, usage of the word, it's when a higher class of people moves into a lower class area and effectively changes it to suit their needs. Um, the phenomenon as we know it first started in post-World War II when vets came back mm-hmm. um, to have housing. There was a kind of second wave that happened in the 70s. Um, and what we're experiencing right now would be maybe what I would consider the third wave. Uh, it's been going on for maybe the past like 10 years or so. It is happening at levels that the first two waves, I mean, the extreme levels between the kind of class of people moving in and the class of people who exist is a microcosm, I think, of the larger like nationwide epidemic of the wealth divide, you know, and the, the income inequality. Um, and so it's just exponentially greater than even J- Jane Jacobs um, kind of theorized initially. Uh, and so as such, the conversation around gentrification has come to be employed um, 
more against just like the neighborhood phenomenon of people moving into a space and that's why we make jokes sometimes about, uh, like uh, Neiman Marcus just put out $65 collard greens or something we call I saw it, that I laughed so yeah. hard but I mean, it's, it's so sad. It, and it's like this thing's like, how could you? But then I was like, oh yes, I know how. And that so that thing, right? That thing. That's why there was a joke. Somebody said gentrified collard greens, right? So technically, Jane Jacobs couldn't have anticipated the employment of her word like that. But it works perfectly because what it is is it is also just more about the spirit of a class of people uh, infiltrating something that typically belongs to a class, you know, below them, mm-hmm. and. Um, recapitulating it to suit their needs so it's it's it is you know certain like nerdy scholars take issue with the word being kind of misused in that way i personally don't i think i think the word is used for like a kind of expanded definition um so yeah it's it's all that yeah so it kind of sounds like you're tying uh these the two things together of like gentrification maybe leads to some kind of cultural appropriation in a way Mm-hmm. Um, I just oh go ahead no no you were gonna say no you, you go no 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 go well I mean go. I mean cultural appropriation is you know gentrification also has this kind of feeling of it's it's very similar feeling to colonization right so it's it's almost like you kind of dig in uh, to something not just to appropriate like not just to like wear it on Halloween um, mm. or wear it out. But to actually kind of monetize it and and dismantle it and then make it your own, like, yes. you know, like, well, actually, I guess the first step would be dismantle it, then you would make it your own, and then you would monetize it. Um, but like that's that's the kind of philosophy um, which feels invasive. It feels destructive. It feels like cultural violence, mm. um, and it feels like colonization because, you know, like what I feel like is happening in Harlem and Washington Heights, like, feels just like. One of my favorite books, um, Things Fall Apart. It feels like, you know, the same kind of dynamic of, like, a couple of white people come in and you, like, laugh. You know, you put them in the part of the town that you think is, you know, cursed, you know. And they put them, they stuck them in, like, oh, they won't survive. We put them in the cursed woods or whatever I forget what it's called. But, you know, eventually a couple people are curious. Oh, I like what these white people bring to the table. You know, I like their Christianity, whatever it is. And you kind of get seduced by how nice they are and how they're sticking it out in the rough part of town. And next thing you know, more and more are coming. And now all of a sudden they're in your schools, they're in your businesses. They're, you know, the church is now, like, eclipsed your local spirituality. And next thing you know, like, it's not even a choice of do we respect them or not. It's kind of like we have to because there's more of them than us. They have more influence than us. They have more power than us. Um, So I think colonization gentrification are very um i guess one isn't like militaristically employed but it's the same kind of effect i think so i was listening to one of my favorite podcasts today um code switch which you should definitely mm. check out because i feel like you should be on it at some point wait um, i think i've heard of it who where is it npr NPR. Okay. um uh it's amazing but they they did an episode that i listened to today about donald trump's america mm-hmm. and what it could be um, if people are scared even if he doesn't win, mm-hmm. um, what could happen to us? Um, oh, yeah. And they yeah. had two people on there that were talking about, like, uh, white culture and mm-hmm. um, the race and them being very afraid mm-hmm. of what you just described happening to their culture mm-hmm. and as they saw it now. So they yeah. had this couple from, I believe, Montana mm-hmm. talking about 
that they were afraid because they were like, our way of life is gone. Mm-hmm. Because I turn on the radio, I, you know, they don't, they yeah. live in a town that's 96% white, yeah. but still they feel as if um, Black America and, and Latinx America mm-hmm. is taking over their America. Yeah. So what you're describing sounds like the very fear that... Uh, no, but it, it's different, you know, it, that's different. So my thing, for instance, is like, there's a really good um, piece that came out in the wake of 9-11, which uh, was called Condemnation Without Absolutes. And it was about, do you know it? No, they talked about it on the podcast. Oh, they Go did? Ahead, yes. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's very important because um, that was a seminal piece because, of course, after 9-11 happened, we were all saying, oh, they're crazy. The, you know, the, the, the terrorists are crazy. Right. The Islamic people are crazy. Radical, yeah. And radical and crazy, but crazy. Crazy and insane. Right. How could they do this? And the moment you start saying... I don't understand how you can do this. You're insane. Is the moment you will never learn how they do it. In the, you know, you'll never learn, right? Yeah. Um, so what's happening, and this is, I made a status about this on Facebook the other day. Like, and I've been actually talking about how I'm not worried about Trump. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, I, I don't think he's going to win. Um, I, I, but, 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 so let's say he doesn't, it, it, but it doesn't matter. I, my fear is not so much him because he's one guy, right? And he's actually going to probably die in maybe 30, 40 years. But he's kind of... He's awoken. He's awoke um, some white people um, yeah. who, and, 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 and others, but mostly this, this kind of, um, uh, kind of uh, quaint, um, nostalgic um, identity trope version of America, which is why he, I mean, look, hate him what you want. He's brilliant. Make America Great Again is a, it's just a, it, from day one, I, that's why you say, oh, he's the force to be reckoned with, because that is a genius slogan. Yeah. I like mean, a it's, song. it's problematic as hell, obviously. Yes. But it is so smart in that it's the perfect way to get millions of white Americans instantly on your side. Right. It's so coded, so heavily coded, uh, and yet it makes so much perfect sense if you're these type of people we're talking about. But anyway, my point is, um, the moment you start to call him crazy, you understand him, and what he's doing, you know, is is waking them up. So he's going to go away. He's going to lose. But they're organizing. I mean, even David Duke, who you know, former Grand Wizard of the KKK, right. he's now finally kind of making his run uh, for Senate. That's not something he could have done before because he would have gotten loud. He wouldn't got press coverage. He went, but now he can rise up in the wake of these people who are now organizing. You know, um, I saw some. I don't like to watch stuff like this, but you know, because somebody posted, I saw a trailer for some Dateline segment. Some you know Hicks out somewhere like in the woods training. What for, if Hillary wins? They're gonna be, they're training like kind of like SWAT team style, and maybe they'll take the White House. But you know these are people who look. They've already been out here in the world. But the difference between before Trump and now is that before they were a lot. They were kind of like disgruntled. They were in their towns. Some of them were on the internet. Now they're in the real world, right? They're firebombing churches. Yeah. They're they're organizing like kind of paramilitary groups in the woods. I mean that is the fear, right? Trump. Will lose. I'm. 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 I am almost certain of it because the entire media empire of the world is me- is is mechanized to prevent him. I don't think he's going to win. What What is scary, and this goes back to condemnation without us lose. It comes back to the difference. Actually, I'll get back to it between um, gentrification and what's happening to white Americans. Is that um, this population is kind of fired up, and what what we and I say we not as necessarily Democrats, but as like people who are like for goodness in the world, um, have to do is, I made the sense about this, you know, you have to feel comfortable saying the R word like your black friends, the S word like your female friends, the H word like your queer friends, and the A word like your disabled friend. What are those words? Racist, uh, sexist, homophobic, and ableist. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, we can't, if you look at the news media, you know, New York Times is going hard. Every week they're dropping a piece from the entire editorial board, Trump must not win. Everybody's doing it. New right, Yorker. Right, yeah. they're going, they're, everybody's going for the jugular. But it's like, guys, you can you're saying this now, but it's like your whole like the whole way that the media discussed 
um, you know, uh, cultural and social events and crises, you know, was so kind of sterile and at a distance. Nobody would say, this person is racist, this thing is racist. You right. know, police brutality. Nobody called a spade no, a spade. No. And now that you fucking, you know, sorry, I don't know, can I curse on this thing? Yes. Now that, you, now that you, you know, have, have, have sterily, or sterily, is that a word? It is now. Yeah, it is now. Now that you <laughs> now that you've sterilized your 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 discourse, now that you've um, pacified your language to the point that it, it can't even describe the thing that you're reporting on, um, with any sense of justice, now you want to cry wolf and say we got to stop Trump. So that's what I'm saying is like, that's that's really where the good guys have to and gals have to find their like wind is like how do we confront these things now? Back to the Trump people. And almost done. Is that they feel like they're under attack because they were raised in a world where even the good guys, quote unquote, weren't saying racist, ableist, sexist, homophobic, right? Like rarely, right? Like rarely. Um, had to be extreme. Had to be like yeah, lynching. Exactly, right? Yes. So their whole world has been could they've been cajoled for decades, obviously by conservatives and Republicans, et cetera, but also by the liberals who just weren't going very hard in the paint, into like this kind of sense of Modernities, this sense of what is this time, you know, and they're not voting about politics, as you observed, and you know, as this, I guess the code switch piece, they're voting for survival, yes. and that's the other thing. You can't call them crazy because, even or even stupid, because there's a level in which intelligence is survival. So if you're from one of these towns and you feel like somebody is sexist, or you feel like as a woman your husband, you know, he beats you or he calls you. B or whatever and you feel like you should you know burn your bra and stand up and march out of your head but you're not going to do that because where are you going to go you know if you live in a certain kind of world it is actually stupid to leave in a certain kind of way because right. you have to leave all your family all your friends so it actually is intelligent to preserve that social structure right so it's not stupid it's not crazy these people are not stupid but what they need to be kind of exposed to is enough kind of counter discourse so that they can, in their own small communities, form the movements that we so, so are so like into in liberal enclaves like New York City. You know, yeah. it's like that's the trick is like giving people the means to adjust their own optics, not forcing it on them, not holding their hand, being very kind about it. You know, oh, you know, not saying the R word or the S word. You know, it's like right, right. we got to go hard so that and give them the information so they can. Um, it's like, sorry, last thing. The slaves free themselves has been the most important um, like thing in my head for the last year, which is, I forget where I got it from. You can actually Google it. There's a piece. But it's like the idea that like Lincoln didn't free the slaves, right? There is a long and unbroken history of slave uprisings, uh, rebellions, uh, escapes. There was a whole like free slave um, town or formerly enslaved like towns that people knew about just didn't, just didn't bother them. One day a white man signed a legal document to rectify another white man's legal document saying that black people were no longer slaves, but they were never slaves in the first place, you know, to themselves. You know what I mean? Like, slavery was a white convention. It was a white trap. It was a white legality. So how is it really about the white men freeing these poor black people? No, they from day one, since they, since they put them on the boats, we used to jump in the water to kill ourselves and say we'd rather die than be go over to this new world enslaved. Yeah. So we've been freeing ourselves, right? And I think... Um, what 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 these white Americans need they need to they need to want to free like we need to it's not so much like that's what I don't want it's not like, like I don't want to like link in these white people yeah, I don't want to think that we can like <laughs> yes. link in them I yes. want them to want to free themselves and that's right. a way that's something that like 
I don't really know where we, how to do that. I don't think there's even a framework for white liberation. Um, but there definitely, definitely needs to be done. That word, those two words made me go, bro, It's necessary. What? It's necessary, right? Because they're in a bad way. Well, I mean, this these people that they were talking about or talking with on Code Switch, because, I mean, you've got to listen to this episode. I'm, I'm, I'm do uh, but they are in a town that is 96% white mm-hmm. in Montana. Mm-hmm. So I, I was listening to them thinking, like, if you were only in a different environment i think your thoughts would be different when if you were surrounded by other people mm-hmm. that were not of your background yeah. that had different struggles you you might change your view yeah. because in new york it's very hard for me to be like oh these like fucking insert race here like i can't believe when i live above one or several or i you know i'm on the tra- I'm train with a trans woman or like mm-hmm. you it's hard for me to be like well fuck those guys because mm-hmm. Of this and this and this. No, and I'm seeing their lives play out. Like, I get to be exposed to everyone. So I can't have these blanket racist statements Mm -hmm. or these ableist statements Mm -hmm. or these homophobic statements. I don't get to have those beliefs because they're constantly contradicted. But the also big thing about, you know, them and you is you're a black woman. Very different, yeah. (laughs) And and it's also about your baseline. Like, the biggest problem of, like, white supremacy is that it promises you something Mm -hmm. that you actually have no right to. It promises you that you deserve resources capital you deserve visibility you deserve validation you deserve um you know what i mean uh power that you deserve right and my whole thing is like and this has been especially useful you know the man's like i'm not i'm not really i'm not like i'm i'm not really i'm not shit like i'm not (laughs) like i'm just here and (laughs) thankfully i want to be a good person, right. you know, but I'm sure, you know, there's people looking at me like you could do better. So I don't really even take that to be like, I'm checked. Like I want to be good. Like everything's, I don't have to worry about like, no, I'm constantly trying to look to women and look to queer people and look to the disabled and look to, um, the elderly. I'm trying to look at anybody who's not me who says, Hey, I'm hurting and saying like, Ooh, am I contributing to that problem? Am I helping that yes, problem? Right. Yeah. And that's something that, that's where intersectionality comes into. And this is why it's very hard to be white, especially a white man. Because I at least, and this is still hard, because the ego is real. You know, yeah. The ego is real and it's for survival. And it's like, I don't want to knock the ego. Because if we didn't have the ego, we probably wouldn't have, like, electricity and stuff. You know, I'm sure it's driven us to create awesome things. But right. at the end of the day, like, it has to be overcome if you want to be, quote, unquote, good in a social kind of configuration. Right. And intersectionality is the key because even though I have no idea what it's like to be a woman, even though I want to, you know, not me, actually, but because um, for all my patriarchal tendencies, I've never been a street harasser. But, like, let's say I, that's something that I felt entitled to, like, just holler at a woman. She, oh, I just want to give you a compliment. Oh, I just right. want to I just want to make you feel good about your booty. Like, don't you want to feel good? Like, like if that's, I, you know, but you see, it's, you have, it's hard as a woman to understand that necessarily. But, like, you have to dig deep. And you have to say, oh, I get how a man might actually feel like he is entitled to want to do that. It's not that it makes it right. But you have to see, like, oh, he might be entitled to do that. And, like... That's the thing is like as a black person, I've been on the brunt and or the 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 the, the brunt yeah, no, no, of yeah. of a white person's sense of entitlement. They feel entitled to do certain things that have made me ow, oh, that hurts. Oh, that makes right. me feel bad, right? Yeah. So again, doesn't excuse it, but I say, oh, that's what it means to be like white, basically, or yeah. to, to be an unwoke white person, or just to live in white supremacy, is right. you feel entitled to certain behaviors. And even if I tell you it hurts, you're not gonna stop. Because you're entitled to it. Right. Right. You're entitled. It's part of your identity as a white person that you deserve to interrupt me, you deserve to speak over me, you deserve to have your experience centered in this. You don't understand how it might actually be detrimental 
to the discourse detrimental to the healing process to just shut the fuck up. Like, you don't even understand that, right? Because you feel entitled as a white person. And, and, and I say, I say, oh my God, and I, I've been blessed in a weird way to be, to be raised around a lot of white people so that I really actually can say, oh, I, oh that's why you are so broken. Mm, I think about the sleepovers I had and I say, ooh, that's why you are so broken. I think about how your mother didn't put you, <laughs> you know, in your place <laughs> or never. something, you know, and I say, yeah, yeah. oh, you never, nobody ever told you that this is an acceptable behavior in right. so many small ways, right? Right. So I've been, on the, I've been on that end of it and I say, oh, that's what it, that's the entitlement of whiteness. And so I, that's why I have to constantly look at queer people, women, disabled, elderly say, oh, what do I feel like I'm entitled to do to you, yeah. right? And so the, the, the problem of whiteness is so pervasive and it's so powerful. And especially being a white man, white men have nothing to look, you have nothing to look to. Straight white man, sorry. Straight yeah. white man, you know, good health, young, you know, whatever. Right. You got nobody to look to. You, you've never felt really, you've been, people have been mean to you, but it's very different from somebody literally sizing you up and saying, on the totem pole of life as we know it, you are below me, and I'm going to do this thing without rega- scant, nary regard for your actual humanity. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's different from being mean. That's a, I will say, that's what you say. Oh, I've struggled. I've been poor. Yes, you've been just poor. You have just struggled. It hasn't been because you're white. Right. And that's, the, that's why it's really hard, I think, for all white people, but especially white, straight white men. But all white people, and that's, and that's the attack that they feel, mm-hmm. is their sense of entitlement is being taken away. Like, there's so many actors. I remember I did this commercial audition. I, 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 not actually an audition. I was, I was a job. It was a VO for, for um, fast food chain. <laughs> Shout out to Ray Lemus. And this white guy was, yeah. And he was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, how you doing, man? And I was like, yeah, good. He's like, you do a lot of these? I was like, no, I just got my VO agent, you know. He's like, oh, yeah, I do a lot of this stuff. He's like, he's like good time to be a guy like you. I'm like, and at first I was like, I was like thinking he's like on my side. I was like, oh yeah, like blackness is trending. I don't know. And he was like, yeah, good time. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's really hard to be like me, white guy these days. I was like, I used to go out, you know, eight times a week. Now I'm going out like four. I'm like, I'm like, nigga. I'm like, yeah, sometimes I'm just like, gonna look at a white person and be you, like, nigga. Yeah, you like, you go out four times. I'm like, that's your 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 new low is my peak. You know yes. what I mean? And, and, and what these guys, that's what I'm saying, what this guy said, and my girlfriend is at uh, her shows, this, also this white woman that she, in her cast said, um, you know, it's like, no jobs for women like me. It's like... For the first what, time in how many years? Right, but, but it's not even, but what it is, is like, you're used to having eight out of ten slices of the pie. Right. And the other two go to like, literally all the other races. Right. And now, instead of having eight, you got seven or six. And you're still mad, even though you still have the majority of the pie. Even though you have more than is due. Right. You're still mad. And... To that woman's point, I know I mean she she's not that good at acting. Okay, so there's certain women like one of my favorite like Didi O'Connell is one of my favorite actresses. She happens to be a white woman. She's still working. You know why? Because she's, she's good. She's not gonna go away just because she's white. Even as other because there's still room for her not just in quote unquote white plays but in black plays. You know when there's a white woman they gonna call Didi up and say come on in because yeah. she's great. She's good. If anything, what it is is white mediocrity is going to be increasingly diminished. And about that, I have no sympathy for you, boo-boo. Like, if that's, if you're mad at that, it's like, get your weight up, you know, and stop being so damn racist. Like, I, I see that literally in our presidential election. God mm-hmm. willing that, that Trump doesn't win. Yeah. Um, but, like, look at the election before Barack Obama came along. It was like, you could be George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. You could be the C student to yeah. become president. Mm-hmm. But now here's this black man who's changed 
the game. Mm -hmm. And now you have to be Hillary Rodham Clinton Mm -hmm. to win an election. Now Mm -hmm. you can't just be, I mean, what's, what's his name? The Mormon that I was so afraid to be president. Oh yeah. um, Which he would run. Yeah. uh, Romney. Romney. Mitt Romney. You you can't even be Romney. You Mm -hmm. have to be like this woman who is like thought and about this for how many years. Mm -hmm. And now it has to, I mean, hopefully it'll change. And it will. And it's, and that was, that's something that's why I don't want to talk about Trump too much, but they, they, they they manufactured him by doing the whole George W. Bush thing. Um, Mm. because, they tried to manufacture this every man candidate that they were then going to puppet string along, and they, they they and that and again that's also they they changed the Republican base to expect that kind of like oh we're suspicious of the establishment thing so right. therefore we need somebody who talks like us like we talk you know yeah. and that's where the George W Bush thing kind of started but it's funny I was listening to um, a speech that uh, LBJ gave during the uh, um, talk about civil rights. Man. Yeah, but, you know, he was just off the cuff, just riffing, yes. and it was, like, the most eloquent shit, you know, and I'm like, wow, like, that will never happen again, like, I'm pretty sure, because even Obama, like, he's, but, like, LBJ was, like, almost like he was reciting something written by an academic, except he was just talking, yeah. and he was from the South, he had the little twang, but they didn't, but that was just, like, that was the culture of, um, intelligence, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, because we live in a very, I feel like, a very anti-intelligent culture right now, where it's, like, it's suspicious if you talk too smart or something. You know. Tell me about it. <laughs> very weird. Very weird. I don't understand it. Tell me about it. Very yeah, weird. as a teacher, it's very strange. One of my students said to me, she's like, well, I like this class now. Because we had a discussion. And she's like, I like this class now. But when I first met you, I was like, mm, she has a way of talking that I just don't trust. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Do you think? I asked her for mm-hmm. play, you know, because most of my students are, are black and, and, um, and like, I don't know if they're Palestinian or if they're Iranian. I'm like, mm. I don't, I can't ask questions like that. So mm. I don't know. And um, she's like, you know, said that to me. And I was like, oh, do you mean I talk? Do you trying to say that I talk white? Mm. Do you know? like mm. that? She's like, no, you just like, it's the way you speak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. What, why does that threaten you? Like, why, why did that put you off? Like, mm-hmm. what do your other teachers sound like? Keep in mind, I'm the only black teacher in like, I'm a, like a lot of these, like there's like, three floors of this high school, mm-hmm. I can go up like two floors and not see another woman that's of color that's teaching. So I wonder what, what that was about. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is it about me speaking? And also I've listened to myself on the podcast and I've been like, okay, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. Well, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's interesting because there's this idea of um, black authenticity mm. that um, is, is very... Um, I, mean, I think I think ultimately it is another one of these again survival tools that we employ culturally um, to weed out people who we feel aren't going to um, understand us or have our needs. You know, um, it indicates that you are outside of the immediate community. But it also like it's a difference of that is I do I consider it black authenticity because it's it also is saying like are you even black like I'm black like do you yes can you, you talk about I mean? that. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I'm reading this amazing book um, that I started reading a long time ago, and I'm back at it, which is called um, Black Atlantic Modernity and Dual Consciousness um, by Paul Gilroy, who's a black British um, academic. Um, And it's basically about trying, I mean, it's specific in the sense that it's really tackling kind of like philosophy and academic literature, Mm -hmm. putting it in conversation. But his whole thing is about kind of adjusting the scope of what modernity is um, because in his view kind of 
most Western intellectuals um, look at modernity through the lens of kind of how Enlightenment philosophy um, changed the course of history, um, and then that that then is how you periodize um, history. And his whole thing was Enlightenment, which was about the virtues of man to be progressive and to self-improve was going on right when slavery was happening, when uh, women couldn't vote, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, and that that isn't really addressed when we talk about how that ushered in the modern age, right? Like, what about all this barbarism and backwardsness that was going on in the name of Enlightenment? You know, Ben Franklin, all these guys were um, junk on the Enlightenment juice. Um, that's why I just went to the African American Museum, and it's very powerful after you go through the kind of slavery kind of um, kind of route that they put you on. When you start to come out of slavery, like literally, because it's a very confined, cavernous space that you walk through at first, you open up and it's almost like chronologically you you are met with um, uh, Alexander Hamilton and all these guys, and you're met with a big blown up. Um, Constitution, Bill of Rights, but they put the quote um, huge. I mean, it's it's almost devastating how big it is. It's hard to describe because like on the wall, there's nothing else. But it's like you know, for all men are created equal to liberty and justice for all. And it's like you see that huge after you've just gone through like all this slavery stuff, right. you know. Um, and it's just driving home the fact that from day one that statement has never been true. No. And anyway, sorry. Paul addresses this by um, trying to look more at diaspora, um, more at how from the moment kind of black people, and I put black in quotes and you put left Africa, you also put Africa in quotes, because when we were in Africa, we were Igbo, you know, we were, we had ethnicities among ourselves, really powerful moment in Roots when uh, Kunta Kinte it's like looking at this slave and he says, like, your eyes are so ray-ray, but your nose is, you know, da-da-da-da-da. He's, like, seeing how even on, like, one generation of slavery, you kind of have two distinct black ethnicities. Right. Could be almost, like, interracial, you know, yeah, yeah. interracial blackness. Yeah, intertribal. Um, anyway. Intertribal, yeah, yeah, but, but, yeah. But, 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 that, but that's the thing. It's like, race is not really real, but ethnicity, you can make a case that mm-hmm. there's a kind of DNA component to what we can call right. ethnicity. And that, so the inter-ethnicity, whatever you want to call it, like, tribes are, I feel like tribes is more, like, Groupings, but ethnicity is is a more like almost biological right thing. And what I love about that roots moment was Kunta Kinte was like seeing that like DNA wise, like normally y'all that nose and those eyes don't go together, yeah. you know. And that's and it's powerful because like only because of slavery was this African American biological organism really born. Right. Um, oh wow, that is a sentence for the day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ooh, okay. But but um but more even than the biology of it is this idea that like. Um, from uh, yeah. Yeah. hey sirens, I hope everything's okay. <laughs> I hope it's not a black man who just has a busted headlight. You gonna treat him right? Oh my god! Um, so <laughs> yeah, like you know, from the moment we kind of got on that ship, all mixed up, um, not speaking each other's languages, not having the same um, music or traditions or folk folk uh, folklore, uh, and then as we went to the Caribbean, and then you know he would say that. Um, this, this, the ship, the deep sea ship, was one of the f- foremost kind of technologies of the world that allowed information to travel. So, for instance, Frederick Douglass stole himself away to freedom because he would observe, he would wor- walk along the docks, he would observe sailors and their behavior 
and we talk with them. Oh, what's going on? Oh, Virginia? Oh, what's going on up in New York? He would hear all his knowledge, right? So the ship is literally providing like liberatory uh, information. And eventually when he sold himself away to freedom, he borrowed a little sailor pass, dressed up like a sailor. But here's the kicker, right? If he just was like, oh, like cotton picking Negro, and then they stop him and say, hey, you know, can you tie the mast or can you, you know, bring in the thing and, you know, readjust the ballast, he wouldn't know how to no, do that. Or it's all this like slang and he was smart. He knew he had to get all of those nuances and so everyone believed him. The LP becomes another diasporic tool. When we talk about hip hop, um, we think of it as a as an American black form, very interesting, but if you know your history of hip hop, Cool Hurt went to Jamaica experienced the sound clash, took that element back to his block parties, and it was that diasporic Caribbean meets Bronx um, melding that really created um, hip-hop. So, so hip-hop is actually a diaspor- is a black diasporic art form. Um, so there, I guess what I'm saying, honestly, there is no such thing as black, black authenticity. In fact, if you look at us, um, we are kind of more like the Jews as far as like a nomadic people um, who have to make a, we have to make our country in the midst of other countries. You know what I mean? Like you know, there's countless movements in which uh, African American intellectuals, early, early, even during slavery days, said, "Hey, it's not about going back to Africa. Maybe let's find a plot of land for us in South America." I mean, this idea that like once you took us out of Africa, we became something more than African, um, and then it becomes this problem of like, how do you address that? But the moment you start to confine it and say, oh, you don't talk like I don't talk, like I talk, so therefore you're not black, you've kind of lost it, right? Because yeah. we're not... We're, we're not a monolith. We're, we're not, not a monolith. We're, no. We are a extremely diasporic people. A um, lot of migration, forced and otherwise. So, here, and here's what I'll say. This is a real kicker. And this is important for, I think, anybody who doesn't understand what blackness is. <laughs> blackness is not actually shared culture. It's a political condition. Right. So it's that's that's what it is. Like you can be any kind of you can be smart, Harvard educated. You could talk like this. You can talk like this. You can talk like you can walk like you can dress like that's why we get shot. Right. Because we are seen as a political object that exists in white people's imagination. But we are seen as a political political object. There's a great exhibit. I was at the studio museum and I need to find this artist. But it was this woman saying my blackness is political. And. And that's what I'm saying. It's a political condition. It's like that's why it doesn't matter how you dress or talk or walk or act. Like, and that's why we need to dismantle this idea of black authenticity, because it is, it is almost so like, like doesn't matter. Being ghetto or being yeah. like uppity or something. It's, yeah, you know, it's political. Yeah, my girlfriend is half Slovenian and was raised more by her mother than her father, and so it's like she has all these like weird things. Well, she like kind of like maybe like drop language or use the wrong word, like as if she were like a Slovenian person, right? Her blackness in certain ways couldn't be more different from. Somebody who grew up in rural Georgia, right? But it doesn't, but, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, in a sense, like, certain of those cultural quirks will not be one-to-one. But when they both walk into a Walmart late at night, they're both going to get followed around the store. Oh, yeah. If she were to walk, if she and I were to go in a Walmart in Austell, Georgia, and I'm, no, I'm thinking about one in particular, <laughs> at the same time, it would be the same exact yeah. response. And that's that's blackness for you. I think, yeah. you know, and there is shared culture. Don't get me wrong. It does exist. It's just you right. can't reduce blackness to that. Yeah. And we can still take joy in that shared culture mm-hmm. and enjoy, like, different aspects of it. But mm-hmm. it doesn't... Yeah, you're right. And we have, but we have to be comfortable with the differences. Yes. Like, you know, and... And that's why also, like, I think that's why, like, whitewashing and people, like, they sell out. Like, that, that I think what they're doing and what that is and what, what breaks my heart about that is, like, that's when they refute 
the the kind of truth that is that, that their blackness is a political condition. You know, mm-hmm. they say, Oh, I just if I just hang out with George at the country club or if I just date a white girl, you know. If I just OJ my way in. If I just OJ my way through life, yeah. they won't see me as a nigger. And yeah. um that's just never gonna be true. What of my speaking of OJ, okay, so I have to hear your opinion on this. This is like way aside <laughs> from the question that I was like, How do you ask him this? Um but okay, also you just gotta listen to Code Switch, man. It's so mm-hmm. good. But um, I will okay, as so soon as we wrap on this. You gotta listen to it. Uh, there's one episode about the OJ Made in America series, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. I can see it, yeah. So good. Uh, it's on Hulu. So yeah, I'm watching. There's one part where he gets out of the. I think he gets out of the Bronco or something after that chase, mm-hmm. and there's all these black people, in around his house, you know, saying like OJ is okay, like free OJ, you know, like we're with you, Juice, right? And he gets out of the car and he says, what are all these niggers doing in Brentwood? Mm-hmm. And it's hard R. It's not mm-hmm. even like, what are all these niggers doing? It's like, mm-hmm. what are all these niggers doing mm-hmm. in Brentwood? Mm-hmm. And he says that to a white cop. Because mm-hmm. he's ingratiated himself so mm-hmm. much into white culture mm-hmm. that he's no longer, he's transcended his race or his political blackness. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Mm-hmm. He said that as well. But he said, what are all these niggers doing in Brentwood? Mm-hmm. And that makes that when I heard that it was like, you don't understand. But you want to hear some crazy shit? Yes, I would. Even that <laughs> word, that movie, loving, about uh, yeah, the lovings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. I feel some kind of way about. Yeah, that. I mean, I mean, I'm not. Did, 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 come on, this is such a joke. This is like some white studio executive's idea of how to capitalize on trending blackness. It's like, yeah. Look, don't get me wrong. This was an extremely important case in the civil rights era. Oh yeah, I did a one woman show about it in mm-hmm. undergrad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's you cannot refute the importance of those people or their moment, but where we're at is insecure, Queen Sugar, yeah, Atlanta, you yeah, know, Moonlight. Yeah. That's where we are. We're not, oh, we're not, we're done with that. We just had the Butler, and did a, I mean, we're we're good. We're good on the whole 50s, 60s jump offs. Right. They they exist. Right. We're good for a while. Maybe I don't know. Give us like tank. You know what I mean? Like, but check it out. She didn't even identify as black. No, I just read that article today, and I was like, I knew something was fishy. Like, I knew it. But also, she was partly Native American, which I yeah. understand. But that also, like... Look, I, I don't want to even jump on her. But I think I think it's probably problematic, because she clearly, at the very least, is, quote-unquote, mixed. Right. But, yeah. um, because she clearly, like, ain't full Native American. I mean, you know. No, no. But, 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 but more importantly, right, than, than how she identifies, and I don't want to hate right, on this that's on her. That's her life. Is that this movie is clearly not getting made... Because as a Native American white interracial story. No. It's clearly getting made to be a black white interracial black story. Black woman, white man. Yeah. 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 So it just, it just, it just, it feels like, you know, kind of usury. Yeah. It kind of like, okay, maybe I'll never get a job at the studio after saying this. Who knows? <laughs> but I remember, I won't even name the studio because I'll, they'll know, they'll know who they are. Mm-hmm. But after my showcase, I went into one of the studios in L.A., Mm-hmm. And they point blank told me, like, it's a really good time to look like you. Mm-hmm. We're looking for you. And I was like, ooh, I'm sitting in this, like, very expensive, like, office surrounded by gay white man, white woman, no idea what her sexual orientation mm-hmm. is, black woman. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, mm, it's great to be you right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's great to be me all the time. Well, why is it great Truth. to be me? <laughs> For you. Because, well, and this is where we really have to look at how anti-racism is, is anti-capitalism. Um, you know, I, 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 I get a little, people, I make posts about all kinds of stuff, and, you know, it's funny whenever the likes 
drop off and it's like if i start criticizing hillary for instance they drop off <laughs> i'm not i'm not i don't i don't i don't go any harder on her than i go harder on hard on anybody who i feel like is not serving my kind of intersectional liberation so right. it's not personal another one that people don't tend to like is capitalism when i talk shit about how pervasive um making dollars and cent how, how pervasive making dollars is over making sense if you get my meaning you know what i mean so just that's a book right but like that's what i'm saying so it's like what's what's in, like what is rightfully kind of absurd about that moment is that you had this what should be intersectional body of uh of people in positions of power who nonetheless it is like that's what i'm saying i don't like I'm like, just because you're gay or a woman or black or whatever, like, I still need you to prove, like, until you prove your down liberation, like, I'm not just going to assume, right? So, so who's going to assume? Oh, I, I, I actually, you know what? Mm-hmm. I did assume because mm-hmm. I had met this guy the day before mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. he is in this position of power. He must be doing something great for his people yeah. and hopefully my people, mm-hmm. quote unquote, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Wrong. No, he just saw you. They all saw you as a commodity, right? So that's that's when when your whole identity and all the kind of oppression that it's racked with daily is reduced. To like, oh, you know, you're a woman. You're black. You're a black woman. Mm-hmm. Well, we can make some money off of you these yes, days. You're, you're not half. This is great. <laughs> yeah, this is great. And yeah. it just erases um, the trauma of even like why that wouldn't have been true apparently two years ago. Or whatever. Like you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like they're like totally like we don't like it. They're almost like, it's like they're not even going to acknowledge that like two years ago, they would have been like, oh, what are we going to do with the black women? You know what I mean? Like, right. it just like is this weird alternate reality where, like, that's why I said in the status, we have to get comfortable saying, that's racist, that's sexist, that's homophobic, that's ableist. Because what those people were doing is not acknowledging that like their business practice up until apparently a couple days ago, you know what I mean? Up until Empire came out. Was that. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think that studio would know who they are because I think every studio <laughs> thinks and talks that way. So they're all going to be like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it, me? Oh, and you're, they're all, it is all y'all. Yeah, multiple. You know? And I think the, the only good thing about and this is why I'm, but that's why I'm also, I'm not about like getting in there and change it from the inside because, you know, that's what I'm saying is like, why would I, like you look at somebody like um, Jay-Z or Beyonce, you know, who's taken them so long. To kind of directly address social issues. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. They've been in the game for a long time. Both of them. Mm-hmm. And just now, I mean, or is, is it a big newsworthy thing? Well, I just mean, addressing it directly. About it. Yeah. You know, there's you could definitely make an argument. And I, I do think that hip-hop is kind of like, yeah, like the the, 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 the news of the streets. And, you know, right. JT's representation all, it does go a long way. Um, and it's of his reality throughout the year. So, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. But, but, um... But there's something different than, like, that and just, you know, being an artist. Like, if you look in the 60s, you look at that kind of fertile time. It's like people were really involved in both politics and art. It right. wasn't like we were mum for 20 years and then eventually we start. You know, I think there's a lot of, like, if you look at a lot of older black actors who you could tell took a whole bunch of just really questionable roles um, to kind of get to some place. And the damage that those roles have done. You know, yeah. playing these kind of poorly drawn thugs, um, poorly drawn slaves. I'm I'm all for thugs and slaves, but they got you got to you got to you got to give me a slave like you gonna give me Hamlet. Like I don't I don't think right. that just because it's a slave it should be some one dimensional. Yes, trope. I was gonna say two dimensional, but you got to be one. I think one. I think yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and um, so I mean that's that's kind of like I just feel like we have to get bold because 
I don't want to wait 20 years for the next moment to happen. No, man. You know? No. I'm really not trying... No, I'm not trying to live my life to be like... To wait to drop strange fruit. Mm-hmm. When, if that's something that I'm thinking about now. Yeah. Ah! Okay, <laughs> so to get back to your show... Because oh, yeah, do, I thing. do want to like highlight that. Right, right, it, right. And, you know, people after they hear this conversation might be like, I really got to see the show. Mm. This is going to be a good show. I should hype it up. I see what you're saying. <laughs> so do we... Do we ever feel... I mean, wh- what is your process about highlighting the gentrifiers? Like, what has that been like? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, What has that been like? Well, like I said, I grew up around a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. I know so many white people. Um, um, you know, it it's something that, you know, when I, I teach kids, uh, mentor, you know, kids and... It, that that, that that is a gift and a curse. I mean, it's it's it's, it's really screwed me um, kind of being raised in these schools and these... Right, because... So much of my sense of self worth and, um, you know, self perception was kind of through the lens of whiteness. Mm, um, so yeah. it took me a long time to kind of shake free of that. But yeah. now that I'm on the other side, yeah, now that I'm on the other side, though, I kind of had this weird thing where, like, I'm not like, I be, you know, I'm like constantly, like, me and my girlfriend, like, if I'm with people of color, I'm always like, man, white people are crazy. I mean, you can't go to the supermarket without seeing somebody do something that's like, it's not just you're crazy, but it's like, it's like you're the white kind of crazy. I like, literally on the train this lady was like staring at me and I was like white people crazy yeah they're crazy right and that's what it is that's what I'm saying that's why it's really hard to be white like not in like a not like a like I don't like I'm not not crying tears about this but it's like they'll never know what that's like to like be like man y'all crazy why do you do this this way yeah. Don't you know there are other ways of living life? It's not even know? like a. It's not even like a. Yeah. Ugh, it's like, don't you know? Yes. Yeah, like, why are you like this? Because like it's almost like it's more like on them. It like it's like you're like you know you're carrying too much stuff right now. Like yes. just let it go. Like yes. let it all go. Like you know like they got all frustrated for no reason and stuff at like little things. Like people cut them. And, uh, uh, you know you know like uh, that kind of thing that they do and it's just like relax. Like that's that's good. look. On a deeper level, it's an entitlement thing. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I really do believe, like, like whiteness should be treated in a psychiatric kind of situation, in a therapy type situation. I really do think it, it would be worthy to, like, if you if there can almost, if some kind of smart psychiatrist can develop, um, you know, a methodology to, like, get at some of this stuff. Because I do feel like it has the same, you know, my mom and my aunt, they, they work in uh, mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've dealt with a lot of mental health in my family. So I don't say this stuff as a joke. I really do no. think that, like, you know, from what I've seen, from, I've, I've been in therapy my whole life, from what I've seen how personalities get kind of, like, worked at, I do feel like some of this stuff should be treated in, in a therapy type um, yeah. situation. You but, should read that book, White Rage. It's going to be on my, mm, on my by, list. By, One of the people that was on the podcast earlier today, and I was like, oh, i got to read your book. Sounds good. It's about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, guap. I'm going to try to drive it home. How do I choose the gentrifice? Well, yeah, like, you know, my thing is, like, and it's so funny, uh, Rustin... All respect to like one of my friends, but like he would do one of the readings for Guap, and he hated this joke. He hated. He thought, "Oh, nobody talks like white people don't talk like that." And a um, couple other moments, he thought, "Oh, you know, it's too much." And I realized, wow, it's it's two things. One, first of all, I'm you know the white characters aren't the. I mean, one of the guys is a lead, but he's not the focus, right? But it's this thing of like you're not used to kind of being sidekicky. Um, huh. uh, first of all, and second of all, e- even still, like everybody, you know, somebody's gotta be a sidekick. So it's not like, I don't think it's like, I'm not like, I'm not, first of all, I'm not 
gassed that I put a white person in a psychic position. I also don't think that that's like making up for anything. Right. I just think that narratively, you know, somebody's got to be in somebody's pole position. Somebody's got to be right. But but really, what it came down to, by the way, that joke is definitely. I've tested this joke now. I've showed this to many people, and they all, it's one of the biggest laughs in the show. So he was bugging, and I think what he was afraid of, yeah, he was afraid of being put in this position where whiteness was kind of treated as any other kind, like, it's a comedy. So, yes, I slightly accentuate, like, everybody. Right. Um, But it's like, he wasn't used to, I feel like he just wasn't used to seeing whiteness portrayed without preciousness. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just wow. think that, like, he... Because I'm just, like, I know... Like, I know me some white people. I know how y'all get when you're put in awkward situations, right. when you're forced to, like, have, like, a cross-cultural interchange with somebody that you, like, just don't... Like, the white people and Dominicans, the reason why that makes for great comedy is because, like, even, like, mo- like Dominicans... Like, I know... Like, I grew up in the city. I know Dominicans. Like, I know Dominicans. And I almost have to realize that, like, oh, like, that's actually, like, most white people know Mexicans. You know, like that's the only type of Hispanic and or Latin X they, that they yeah. identity that they know is Mexicans because most of the people in this country you know as Mexicans, right. kind of maybe Cubans if you're in Florida and then like Puerto Ricans because like West Side Story Dominicans are like low key like not that well known so yeah if I took if I had a character I say you're from Ohio. And you moved here to make acts. No, they would not. And then I no, put you nope, with the nope. Dominican. Of course, that's just going to be funny. Because yeah. I know how white people be. I know how y'all get crazy. Yes. And so, and it's funny because I feel like so much of his hesitation was about feeling like, oh, we wouldn't be like that. And I said, yes, you would, sir. Yes, you would. Just do what's on the script. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and it's like, because I shopped it around to some other people, you know. And look, don't get me wrong. First early draft, he was a little bit of a fall guy. And I, you know, I addressed that, Mm -hmm. but it was like, there were certain moments like jokes that he was like, we wouldn't say that. And I was like, I know you would, you know, I know you would because I've been there. I've been there where it's happened. I see it every day, you know, and, and just, and that, and that is that kind of thing of like when I, I mean, strange neighborhoods or dealing with populations that I've never dealt with before. Like I know how to like humble myself. I also know that like, I've rarely been seen as a threat in like, like when I teach kids, like I teach in prison or whatever it is, like. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like there's some way in which I know how to, like, almost like, you know, like, when, like, I saw this beautiful video of, like, a dog trying to get this um, small child with Down syndrome to, like, play with him. And he did this thing where, like, you know, dogs do a lot with other dogs, but they, like, put, they bow their heads really low. They make their bodies small, right? And it's like, I know how to go into situations and just humble myself on that level where, like, I'm going to make myself small. Right. So that you understand, not even that I'm not a threat, but that I am consciously trying to show you that I'm not a threat. Right. And I feel like that goes a long way. And I just feel like, yeah, like white people don't know have how to, to do that. They don't have to and they don't even know how. A lot of mm. them. You know? Mm. They don't know how to be small. Because they're so there's they're used to going everywhere and taking up space and being validated. And um that's why when you go in the neighborhood, it's like, yeah, it's like, how do you not know that guy who sits in front of your building every day? How do you not know you buy, like, I'll, it's not necessarily even about a name, but it's like, because I don't know a name, like, anyone fucking in my building, but, like, you know, it's like, how do you not greet them, make small talk, ask how they're doing, like, you know what I mean, like, how do you just go about it like they're, like, an anonymous body in the night? It's like, what is your neighborhood, you know, it's like, what, what, like, what is, what, what, that's, that's another, gentrification isn't just about moving in, mm-hmm. it's about moving in and changing, right, changing mm-hmm. it, so... I have this joke in Guap where uh, Eric, the white guy, it's one of the things the first scene, where he goes into the bodega and 
he um, is about to, he's like buying his six pack of beer and some, you know, whatever, the cooked chips. And he is holding a can of coconut water. And he says, do you have this, do you have coconut water in a box? And the guy's like, box, papi, I don't know. He's like, yeah, no, no, coconut water. But like, do you have like, and like, like, you know, like Vita Coco or like, do you have, and he's like, no, papi, that's the only coconut water I have. And he's like, okay, never mind, right? So the thing is like, coconut water has existed for a long time. Um, you know, Goya makes it, you know, and it was, and it's cheap. And then eventually, um, you know, white people decided as they do. To to well they what they and this is what they do they find something like yerba mate or coconut water and they find something that like traditional cultures have been doing for hundreds if not thousands of years, um, that is obviously intrinsically healthy because um, you know traditional cultures live long healthy lives so uh, of course they they eat and drink healthy shit so you know but they found it and they branded it they branded it they put the markup at three hundred four hundred percent of you know what it needs to cost and. Um, but but that's not the that's not the that's not the kicker. The kicker is that a white person would go and they say when when faced with like dollar ninety nine Goya or dollar fifty like Goya coconut water, and then like four dollar you know Zico, they'll go for the Zico because it's it hasn't the messaging of Zico, which you know has like a beach and it's like you know be here white person you know, uh, kind of is is messaging not just drink coconut water but that you're kind of a part of something exotic. You're a part of something. You know, you are you are drinking health. You know, it's not like, ooh, I want, I got a taste for coconut water. It becomes this whole thing, and um, I mean, so how am I treating the white people? I don't know. I'm just treating them like like they are. Like I like I've seen that moment go down. I've seen so many moments where people turn their nose up. And the question that I'm trying to answer in Guap is who has a right, um, who has the right to live in a neighborhood? Because I think that's ultimately the question of gentrification, like on like a socio political level, is like how do you determine it? Now, conservatives, Republicans, you know free market apologists will say whoever can afford it. And they'll say it's about supply and demand. They'll say it's about, you know, greater trends as far as who wants to live people. And then it's the end. It's like, if you want to live there, earn it. Um, I believe in something called neighborhood and community. I believe in culture. I believe in society. I believe these things cannot just be beholden to who has the most amount of dollars. Um, And so... um, you know, on a on a political level, this is about tweaking policy. But on a social level, like we're saying, and I don't want to get into policy because that is a crazy. That's like I'm not equipped for that. And it's again, it's one of these battles that would take a lot, a lot of effort. But on a, on a social level, like I just feel like I'm a person. Like I go in the world, and I I I give a lot of people head nods and hellos, and I hold doors and I right. say thank you, and I get out of the people's way if they look like they're in a hurry. Like, I live my life like I am not the center of my life. And that is just me, how I am in the world. And so if I move into any neighborhood, like, I've been abroad in moments, like, you know, you just get dropped off in places. And I'm just, this is, I mean, I never, nobody taught me this, but it's like, when you're just, like, present in your life, you know, <laughs> it just, it changes everything. People, like, like, i never forget, I got this full scholarship to study at Bada. And it's, um... This, the guy who was like the jan- janitor, yeah, came in while I was still there, cleaned my little Balliol College, you know, Oxford University dorm. And I'm sure this guy's used to dealing with a bunch of privileged kids during the year, but in summer he's dealing with a poor black kid. <laughs> right. And he's like, you know, hipping me. He's like, telling me about the pub, up, you know, if you just walk along the park, you pass, you come to a creek, you cross the bridge, there's a pub, have a pint, sit down. And there's a way I can't do He's such a sweet, just sweet, I could tell, just simple man who just loved his pints at this little pub. And we're just rapping, you know, and it's like, that's just because when he came in, I wasn't like, the cleaning person, like, you know, don't person. acknowledge them, you know, ooh, like, this is be awkward. Like, it's not awkward, like, 
You could just talk to them. Or not. Or if you don't, if you're busy, you're busy. But I'm saying, like, it's you just be present in your life. Right. And that's not going to stop gentrification. But it goes a long way toward determining, like, what community is, right? And um, I don't know. I think the question for, like, these characters in Guap is about, like, the gentrifiers, their, their characters is about, like, how do they address that question of community? How do they address the question of being present in their lives? Um, what does it cost to them to develop new habits of... Because also capitalism, he's going to say... Like, this, this act for me of, like, buying coconut water in a can or not is actually extremely important. I mean, I turn it into a gag, um, but it, it really is the heart of, like, the intersection of, like, gentrification, capitalism, whiteness. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, why would you not buy that? First of all, doggy, it's cheaper. Just buy it. You know what I mean? Support the local business. It's the same motherfucking thing you want to drink anyway. It's cheaper, you know. But so this is actually the heart of the issue is, like, those small moments, you know. Because yeah. once you're there... Once that apartment has been made made available to you, so much of the quote-unquote gentrification work has already been done. Right. So your ass going to be there. So now the question is, like, what do you do? What do you, you know? do about it? What do you do with your time? Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is my last thing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to shout out? Anybody that you want to say hello to? Anything that you're doing that you want to talk about? I mean... Treat it like a Frank Ski, you know, it's a shout out, it's a shout out. Shout out, shout out to my mom, um, who actually, yeah, I live with my mom, that's actually a big part of why I can be an artist, because um, she holds me down. Um, So, shout out to mom, Um, shout out to um, everybody contributed to the Guap Kickstarter, that's a huge one. We raised 23k there. In how many and days? Tell them how many days. I think 30 days. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it was pretty exciting. I didn't know I could do that. Um, <laughs> did that. Um, shout out to Paul Gilroy, who wrote The Black Atlantic. It's blowing my mind. Shout out to my girlfriend. She's amazing. Um, she's a big part of why I can like get as much done in one day. <laughs> um, shout out to Harlem School for the Arts. If you have a child under the age of 18, you should send them there. I could be their teacher. Uh, and shout out to HTTP colon backslash backslash chrismyersinc.com because that's my website. Yes, yes. And are you on social media? Let us know what you're at. Yeah, everything is at Chris Myers Inc. Um, uh, Inc. like incorporated. So C-H-R-I-S-M-Y-E-R-S-I-N-C. Uh, I don't use Instagram because I think it's a horrible app. We can come back to that um, on the next episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying if you use it, it's horrible. I just personally think it's a horrible app. I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet that much. But I'm on Facebook, but I... I, that's only for friends, but you know you can you can, you can find my page. You can try. You, you, you can try to add me. I'll see. You. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This Jasmine. has been great. So I'll sign off. Peace, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Chris Myers for being a wonderful guest this week on our show. Um, now, there's one thing that I want to add to this episode, which is a new segment, and I'm not sure what the title is yet, but. Um, I guess we'll call it black excellence or black business or I'm not sure because uh, it won't always be black. It'll you know be different people of color or just a different allied business. So if you have any ideas, send me an email on what we should call this. Um, but um, the shine, oh, maybe I'll call it the shine. I don't know. Uh, the shine for this week will go out to uh, my girl, Sherlyn. Uh, she has a business called DKT Polish. That's the letters D 
as in dog, K as in kitchen, T as in top, um, polish, and it's a nail polish line. And I just got uh, the color Poised this weekend, and it was fantastic. It goes on so smooth, it's so beautiful, it's lustrous. Um, it's everything that you could want in a nail polish, and it dries super quick. And she has so many colors, and they are fantastic, and the girl is doing it for herself. She's um, from Atlanta. She's a beautiful black woman. When I say beautiful, I mean beautiful. Um, and she's got this nail polish that is amazing. So go online, go to www.dktpolish.com and order your nail polish from her. She is amazing. The colors are fantastic. I'm wearing poised all this week and I love it. I feel very poised. Um, so please go out and support her. Um, and send her some love. All right, so um, I think I will call that the shine of the week. I kind of like that it's like, you know, a little shine, a little spotlight. Um, other than that, that's about it for us at Awoke in the Morning. Uh, we are recording this before the election, so uh, hopefully you won't uh, get too nervous when you're listening to this uh, after the fact, um, regardless of what, you know, might happen. Um, but yeah. Have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy life. Enjoy the fall turning quickly into winter. And stay woke, friends. Love you. Said I want you standing right beside me cause I really want everything about you in my arms, baby, here we are. Said I want you standing right beside me cause I really want everything about you in my arms, baby.